I am Jimbo Paris, and you are listening to the Jimbo Paris Show. Today we have Fatima Oliver, and basically what she is is she's a speaker, consultant, and accountability partner that's focused on helping people by improving them through faith and spiritual evolve. Okay, so can you kind of begin by giving me a bit of a summary about yourself? Well, okay. So you're right. You kind of introduced me, right? I am an author, speaker, and consultant. I basically work one-on-one with people, really trying to help them to get in touch with their um, themselves, really. A lot of us walk around kind of like, I'm doing a lot of activities, but not really knowing ourselves. And so I come alongside them and just help them with that journey that I consider a soul healing journey. It started out really in regards to me walking through that path myself and kind of not knowing what the heck I was doing, but feeling like my life was falling apart when it seemed like everything was going perfect. I had a pretty good job, was making some pretty good cash, and the kids were happy, the husband was happy, but I was still miserable. And just really having a moment where I felt I was losing my mind. I felt suicidal. Didn't know if I was going to make it the next morning just because I, you know, I was ready to end my life. And really having to stop and determine how I wanted my legacy to be. What did I want it to be about? And, you know, if I was going to stay on this earth, what did I want want it to be about? And in order to answer those questions, I really did have to do a lot of self-reflecting and just deep diving into some emotionally vulnerable areas in my life. And so um, out of it came a book called The Prescription is in the Dirt, as well as the opportunity to work with a lot of people who were just like me or or are just like I was <laughs> and um, was able to have been able to work with them to help them find their own purpose, their own why and walk through what I consider a soul healing journey. But thanks for having me on. And personally, when did you begin to improve yourself? Well, uh, it really was just a few years ago, but it, it was baby steps. It, it was a, a baby step approach. I like to say a step-by-step approach because In actuality, I was just desperate for change, but I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I didn't know the direction to go. And one one of the major decisions that I had to make was to be honest with myself, to be able to look at myself in the mirror and accept the fact that where I was standing at that moment, despite what everything else looked like inside me, my life was a mess. And that was a harsh reality to have to face that my life was a mess that I was emotionally a mess, that I was physically a mess, I couldn't think straight, that I was spiritually completely disconnected from my faith, and that I needed to do something about those things to get back centered. And so that was a a tough pill to swallow, but I had to have that tough conversation with myself. And then from there, I had to make sure that I had a safe place to fall. And I'm a deep proponent on that, um, Jimbo, as far as Everybody needs a place where they can be vulnerable and not feel judged, to be able to just really just say whatever is on their mind, those dark thoughts, 
those scary thoughts, those fearful thoughts, be able to just express it without feeling like somebody's going to commit them to a crazy house. And so I went to my safe place. I went to people who I knew were rooting for me, despite what my life looked like. And I shared with them my desperation. And from there, um, I started the tough journey of figuring out what the heck was wrong with me. Why was I having all this anxiety? Why did I feel like I wanted to end my life? And and then dealing with those things as they came up, a lot of it had to do with my my upbringing. Yeah, the, yeah basically the way that I grew up, um, some trauma that happened in my childhood and just being a young adult and making some horrible decisions, some things that I didn't, con- I couldn't control, some things I could, but just the aftermath of those things. And so I'm having to face those those different events in my life that I thought my success had helped me to move away from when it followed me wherever I went. And you said, you know, finding an emotional safe house. I know you didn't phrase it that way, but that's how I kind of saw you explain <laughs> it in a way. What other things did you sort of do to further improve yourself? Yeah, so for sure, I definitely went to, uh, when I say my safe my safe house, my safe place, these were people that were girlfriends of mine, my husband, but also there were some parts in my story, in my life, from my past, that they truly could not help me. And so that made me have to make a decision to go have talk therapy. So I went to therapy and I found somebody who was um, seasoned and conditioned in a space where they can help me walk through some tough conversations from my past. And uh, like I said, one of the main things that I had to do was look at my past, not just check it off as a checklist. I've been through this, I've been through this, I've been through this, but really take the time and look at each incident that has happened in my life that when I think about it, it still brings me pain and kind of decipher why there is pain there and then make the determining make the determination to release that pain and the work whatever work is in between me recognizing it and releasing doing that work to 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 get to a place where i can say that did happen to me it'll never be okay that that happened to me but i'm choosing to release the pain that's connected to it because i don't want to live with it anymore and i literally did those steps for every single incident that when I would think about it would still make me upset, would still make me angry, would still make me sad, still make me cry in my pillow, still make me want to slash some tires, whatever those issues were. Those are the ones I specifically walked through those steps of, okay, this is still bothering me. And so now I need to work through those specifics of what to get to, why is it still bothering me? And then making the decision to kind of see the forest from the trees, trying to see the whole dynamic, not not just what pained me, but the other people, the other factors that made the situation as painful as it was, and ultimately making the decision to release it, to release the unknown, to release my need to know every single determining factor before I forgave. And um and and from to me that is a huge proponent in Walking through a soul healing journey, it's um, getting to a place where you're able to release the pain and able to forgive the situation, forgive the people, the players, any part of that event that caused you pain. So is a lot of what you do focus mainly on relieving pain? Like what types of specific issues do you 
begin to deal with. So who are the types of clients that come to you? And after this, we'll kind of get into how you slowly built up your business yeah. through hardship and work. So anybody who is vulnerably, vul- uh, I'm sorry, emotionally vulnerable at any stage of their life. So we all have pain, right? We all have things that shock us. Life can do a sucker punch on every single one of us. No matter how well we are doing in one area, we can really be drowning in another area. And so those people, so really everybody <laughs> who is at a space in their life where they're saying, I'm ready to change this piece of me. I'm ready to do something different. I'm ready to be better in this area. I know that I suck in this space. My friends tell me that I suck in this space and it's time for me to look at it. And so specifically, it would be people who have similar to me, have had pain from childhood, have felt abandoned from childhood, have um, dealt with um, assault or um, the loss of a child or feeling alienated, feeling like the black sheep. You name it, at the end of the day, there's pain that's related to it. And so those people who are just really at a place where they're tired of living with the pain and they're really ready to release it, but they don't quite know how to do that. That's where I come in as an accountability partner and help them walk through those steps. And and so I actually have material that I offer that my client will work through on a weekly basis. There'll be like study guides or courses that are asking some seriously deep rooted questions. And it's between them and the question on if they're going to be honest or not. I mean, it really boils down to their honesty level and how real they want to be with themselves. And so they answer those questions and then we come back and we talk about their answers. And from there, um, I really believe that um, God just really comes into the mist or their faith comes into the mist and really just makes some transformation happen. And it's it's quite an experience. So when I say soul healing, I want to make that clear. Um, For me, I consider what I walked through a soul healing journey because I was all over the place and I. I had been that way for a long time and I had been suffering with anxiety and depression for most of my life. I didn't even realize that's what it was. I was just sad all the time. And at some point I got to a place where I really could see myself driving my car through an intersection and just leaving this life. And I had kids and I had the fiance and I had promise of my future, but I had so much pain inside of me that I never addressed that it felt like I couldn't survive another day because it was just agony. And I I went and got medical help and found that I was clinically depressed. And I was on medicine for years. And when I say years, I mean like at least 10, 11 years before I got to a place where I said, but why? Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel this anxiety? Why do I feel so depressed? And at least three, four times out of the year, I feel like I'm just ready to end it. And but but in between that time, I go into this hole where it's hard for me to dig myself out of. And my friends are like, I just saw her yesterday and now we can't get in touch with her. Why do I do this like every two weeks or so? And then I come back like everything is normal. What is wrong with me? What has made me function this way? And when I got to that place and I had mentioned it to you earlier, that is a space where I had to pay attention. My mind was yelling at me, my body, I wasn't eating, I was tired, couldn't sleep. 
um, just just malnutrition. Mentally, I couldn't think straight. I was breaking just just on simmer. Anybody say anything to me, I was ready to pop off. Emotionally, I was crying at my job and scared that I was going to get fired because I was just crying at the drop of the hat. And spiritually, I mentioned that, that I was so connect, disconnected from my God. I didn't even know how to pray. Like, I didn't even know what to say. And honestly, I didn't want to. And so my my mental, my emotional, my physical and my spiritual were screaming at me. And at that place and time of just being tired of myself, I stopped to listen. And that's what started my soul healing journey. It was when I listened to all those components and really started to deep dive to the root core, the root issue of what was going on with me. And what came back was trauma, whether it was from as a childhood, as I mentioned, or whether it was from a bad breakup or being uh, left at the altar, or um, in my case, uh, the death of a child, disfigurement and having to deal with the stares of being disfigured, just different things that, that formed as tragedies and trauma in my life. I looked at those things and by me looking at each one of those situations and peeling back the layers on each one, I was able to slowly start to regather myself and honestly feel a freedom that I've never felt before in my life. And I'm 40 something. (laughs) And when you felt this freedom, how did it affect you and how did it affect your clients? Did this kind of give your clients confidence that you definitely knew what you were talking about compared to all those other people out there? Well, uh, realistically, when I was going through my own battle, I didn't have, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't doing the work that I was doing. It's because of my battle that I have walked into this space. And I really think there's a place for everybody. There's a place for therapy. There's a a place for psychiatrists, but there's also a place for people who have a PhD in the hard knocks of life. And so, and and plus some psychology education to go with it. But really, there's a lot of people who would prefer to speak to somebody who they know understand pain, who they know tangibly have went through some stuff. And so, I believe it's my vulnerability in being and being willing to share those things, and and just my freedom in being able to say, yeah, this is where I come from. This was my life. This was. Um, my culture. This is this was my experience as a kid, and I'm putting it all out there on the table. But I'm saying that you can be great anyway. I'm saying that all these things that were horrible that happened to me, they don't have to depict my life. They don't have to depict my future or the legacy of my children. And it's in that, it's in that strength that comes from that word that gives my clients the confidence that. I know what the heck I'm talking about. <laughs> when you started to deal with a lot of this trauma and get through it, of course, did you see similar patterns in the clients you're working with as well? Absolutely. But I think that's natural. I think that when we go through certain situations in our life, that we're more apt to realize those signs than somebody else. As an example, if you were abused, if you were in a domestic situation where your husband or your wife was abusive to you. You would know the signs because you know the signs of when they're about to be abusive to you. You know how it made you turn inward. You know the insecurities that it built up in you. And thank God that you survived it. But when you walk in a room and you deal with different people, 
you can sense somebody else who is walking through that same type of situation. You can you get cues and in, in the way that they their speech, the things that they say, the way that they act, the sadness behind their eyes that only you would understand because you've been through it. And so I bring my own personal to a degree my own personal experience to the table when I'm speaking with my clients. But I also think it takes a lot of listening, good listening. And I think we all can grow um, more in that area. But listening and just being able to have a discerning spirit and, and just really, really being able to zone in to what is really what the core issue is with, with that individual. Everybody is different. And so collaborating with my client, with them understanding that they will get out of it what they put into it. So they have to put in the work, too. So we're working together. And in the midst of us working together, we're able to peel back the layers in their life so that they can look at their situations and notice things about themselves that they didn't know before. Become more aware of who they are, become more aware of their triggers and become more aware of the things that they should be happy about and feel blessed about. So I really think it's a jointed effort, but definitely my candidacy doesn't doesn't hurt at all. I think it helps. Do you think your candidacy was sort of one of the key components to your success? Uh, definitely, I think so. And honestly, I believe because I'm assigned to do this work. And so success is relative. So for me, when I say success, I mean, when I'm speaking to one of my clients, and they weren't able to see a habit that they had that that have been hurting them and may have been hurting their loved ones. And I'm able to help turn the light switch on in that area. To me, that's success because that means, well, let me back up. You cannot heal what you do not see. You cannot fix what you do not acknowledge. So at that moment, they are acknowledging a trait in them. That could be hand that that could be removed altogether, or reframed, and so they're having an opportunity to be able to look at that and say, "I need to change that," or make the decision to not wait, wait. And so now they have the power to make a concerted effort to change the dynamic of their future. And so when I'm playing a part in that, that's success, and and that's a huge blessing to be able to see somebody else walk through steps that I've walked through and in, in a lot of ways benefit in a certain way. And when you started to get success in your business, sort of explain to me the general gist of the marketing plan. How did you go from having this knowledge to then building it up into a profitable and functional business that can draw in people and really push out a good product such as your books? Yeah. Thank you for asking. Realistically, we all have to start somewhere. There was a lot of fear of what I did not know. So my main thing was really trusting that this was my purpose, that this this area of being able to help people walk through their soul healing journey was meant for me to do. Um, because it's the belief that will get you through the not knowing <laughs> to be able to keep pushing. And so in that, I learned, um, you know, I, I had mentors that was in a in the similar field and they may be coaching on other things but the foundational principles they were able to share with me that was important and I, I learned the importance of marketing and ads and putting them in the right place and being able to know what my target market is and an appeal be able to appeal and form my brand 
But I think more than anything, it was about being tangible and being as forthcoming as possible and honest, putting that as the forefront of my of my brand so that people can feel like I am a tangible person, that I am somebody that they can relate to. And in this type, this area of business, you have to be. Nobody's just going to tell their life stories to random folk. It's just not going to happen. It comes with relationship building. And so for me, that is a critical element to anything that I do, even when it's putting up an ad on social media and using the digital market, which is the best market to be a part of. It still boils down to relationship and being vulnerable in spaces so that people can feel that they connect to me, even in the digital world. So that was a huge lesson that I needed to learn. And it truly has helped me in this area. I really believe that it had mostly to do with relationship building and then just having a sensible strategy and being able to know who is listening to me, who are the dollars and time on people that that were not ready to receive what I had to say. And how did you find your voice? How did you find the voice that attracted your audience in particular? Who do you think your main focus is on? Is it mainly religious people that want to reform themselves, but they don't necessarily want to leave their faith? They want someone like you that can kind of guide them in the right path to be someone more like you. I know I said something really niche there, but (laughs) tell me what you think. Yeah, so I would definitely say that it's for anybody with the understanding that I am a Christ-centered person. And so if you are okay with me and my practices and my course material having a faith element, then it is definitely for you. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to, you know, you can be whatever your faith is, but I definitely bring, I definitely think that it's important to include a faith element. And so to your point, I would primarily probably best fit those who have that faith element in their life, whatever that faith is, so that they can draw power and strength from their faith. That is a part of the soul healing journey. However, if they don't want that piece, understand that that's who I am. That's that's in my makeup. And so my material is going to have that. But I also have um, material that reflects on just um, meditation in general, really just practices to center yourself, to get to the core issue of why you are the way you are and finding the inner strength to change those habits that need to be changed and to move with courage in those habits that need to remain no matter what people say. So that's the point of it all. And so for me to be able to find my voice, you know, I I don't believe in coincidences, um, but it sounds coincidental. And so I, um, it was like a serendipitous moment. It was me walking through my own pain. And it, it really started with a painful moment that carved my purpose. And so in the midst of my pain and trying to find out my own answers for my life and really doing a deep dive on why I still had anger for this relative or why I still had these horrible memories that kept me up at night or why I still had sorrow in my heart for something that happened so many years ago. Really looking into those individual situations and finding my own personal freedom because of the steps that I chose to take. In the process of that and coming out on the other side, maybe a year later, I was in a space where I was able to write it out and just really look back on where I was. They got me to this place. Like they got me to even want to know 
where I was, where my mind space was, where my emotional state was at and how I went to therapy, the tools that I got from there, how I, how I use Christian programs and the things that I got from there, what things stuck to me like glue in regards to steps and tactics and exercises that helped me to find myself. And then I wrote it out. And then I talked about where I am today because of all that, all of that, that happened to me. And when I looked back on it, I was like, well, shoot, to me, that's a book. And so I feel like I, co- it, you know, it sounds like I coincidentally walked into creating a book. And so I wrote my very first book and I had no idea what I was doing, but I just got on my computer and started writing. And I'm so grateful that it is done as well as it's done. But in the process of that, that opened the door to me to be able to talk to people like you um, because there were folks that wanted to know more about what I had shared in my book and just what I truly believed in. And that opened the door for me to be able to start working with people one on one. And so it was my book, really. It was initially in that space and time where I said, I have a right to tell my story. I have a right to speak on all the pain that I've lived with for 40 something years. And to be able to truly say to the world that I matter, to say to myself that I matter, it was an extension of therapy right in my book. That is where I found my voice. It was making the decision that knowing that there were some things that I would share in my book that would be hard to take in, hard to swallow about my life and just the steps that I took for healing but also some things that would make people angry at me because of what I shared and having to make that decision on, do I want my freedom? Um, and to me, this was a step in my another extension of freedom. Do I want my freedom or do I want to be loyal to dysfunction? So making those life altering decisions that had nothing to do with anybody else but myself, that's where I found my voice. And I think a lot of us, Jimbo, we live a life where we know that there are things in our life that we are not happy. There are situations that we are in every day that make us to our stomach, that makes us want to run away. And we still continue to do it for fear of what people will say. That was the the space that I was in. And so I had to make some serious gut checking decisions to change the trajectory of my life and change my life. And it was the bestest decision I could have ever made. But I lost a lot of people, a lot of important people on that route. And I, the, the people that I work, it is very important that I help them to understand that the changes they are making in their own personal life will naturally filter through to their external life. And so on their job and in their relationships and even close in to their their um, their boyfriend, girlfriend, a close friend relationships. And so whatever decisions that they decide to make, it truly has to be because they believe it's best for them because people will come and go. But you need to be able to live with yourself. And so those were the things that I had to walk through in the midst of that. I found my voice. And then I just made a decision that I'll never shut up again (laughs) and that I will continue to tell my story and that I will continue to walk in the path that I believe that God told me to walk in no matter what. And and whatever that looks like, if that looks like writing another book, I would do that. If that means sitting with somebody side by side and helping them walk through their own journey, I would do that. If that means getting on the stage and talking, I would do that because I would not be silent. And I think I'm speaking for those people who have not yet gotten their voice yet. This is a question I ask all coaches. 
Which one do you prefer, one-on-one coaching or group coaching? I'm a personable person, so I definitely feel that there is such strength and intimacy in one-on-one coaching. Um, That's my personal preference. I've seen a lot of transformational things happen in one-on-one coaching that I'm just so proud to have been able to experience with that individual. Um, Life-changing moments. But I, um, I, I'm not afraid of a stage. And so I'll definitely get up and talk to anybody, which is funny because I wasn't always this way. And when I say that, people are like, yeah, right. But I really wish that I could go back and pull some people who knew me when and say, tell them how I was. Because I was definitely a timid person, a very quiet person, even a pessimistic person. And it really had to do with the way that I grew up. It had to do with my experience growing up in a rough, um, in a in a rough neighborhood, girl, um, not being able to have any type of real emotional connection with anyone, and then learning how to do that as a grown up. That was scary. And so I was really closed off a lot, and um, really protective of myself and of my heart. And um, through my healing journey, I've really, really, really um, found my freedom and my voice and my excitement to help others. So in whatever that comes in, I'm definitely down to help. And I have done some some classes, small classes um, with people and sharing certain content. But when you do one-on-one coaching, it just forms uh, a power on its own. It just has its own story on its own. You really, really get to walk through life with somebody on a personal level and form special relationships. And you know that you are impacting an individual because you get to see the transformation happen right before your eyes, which is a little different sometimes when you're with a bunch of people. And when you're, another thing I have to ask is, why did you write these books now? What, what was the purpose of these books? Were they to, the first impression I get is they're to kind of take a lot of the lessons or the experiences you've had with your clients and to kind of push them out in the hopes that other people will see this and they'll kind of interpret it the right way. And when I say hopes, I mean more of that's what your intention is. So when I, at this stage, me writing my books, it really is, I guess, in relation to clients. I, I don't include client information in, in my books. So it's more so my testimony, Fatima's testimony, Fatima's life, and what that has looked like, good, bad, indifferent, and embarrassing. <laughs> okay, But really with the foundation of saying that I am you and you are me and that we all got stuff and that none of us have made it to this pinnacle place where we are like a Yoda, that we all have stuff. And we all have things that we do wonderfully well. And we all have areas in our life that we could grow. We could grow in. And that there are so many of us dressing up our mess, um, putting on some red bottoms on our mess and putting on the nice kicks on our mess and the nice clothes and brands on our mess. And really, we are just broken. And so somebody has to go first. Somebody has to speak about it first. How do you heal if nobody can right? We're all in the same room. We could be all having the same type of pain, or at least two of us in the room, if it was 10 of us, maybe experiencing the same exact pain, but we'll never know because we're not of it. And so we walk through life 
having superficial relationships and superficial conversations. And there is truly a place for that because nobody wants to be serious all the time. There is definitely a place for that. But I also believe there is a place for true, deep, connected relationship. And a lot of us run away from that. We're afraid of that intimacy. And I believe that a lot of the reason why we're afraid of it is because we can't be that way with ourselves. We can't look at ourselves in the mirror and have that intimate conversation with ourselves. So when I write, I'm writing to say I'm going first. I'm sharing it all. And sometimes I get in trouble, <laughs> but I'm sharing my story. Number one, because I have a right to because I lived it. Right. And number two, because I want to be a testimony for people that no matter where you are, no matter what you've been, you have the power to change the trajectory of your life. It is within you. I never in a million years thought that I could change my life. I thought my life was what it was. And I never really had dreams. I went to sleep surviving. I woke up surviving. I didn't really think that I had time to dream. And it was through me healing and God slowly showing me places in my heart that I needed to heal and release some things that it freed up the space for me to dream that I want to do this and I want to do that. And then actually start to figure out how to do it. I think our pain stops us from dreaming because we're so busy being broken and, and bitter that we don't, we could use that same energy to, to dream and actually work towards our so when I write my books, that's what I'm trying to inspire. I'm trying, I'm trying to inspire people to go beyond where they're at, to stop being comfortable with their sadness, stop being comfortable with the pain, and to shake it up and make some changes. You only get one life. You start making some positive changes in your life to live the type of life they want to and to leave the type of legacy and reputation that they crave for. What type of legacy reputation do you crave for? <laughs> That's a good one. So my legacy, I want it to say, really, when I think about my legacy, I think about my children. And I want my children, forget everybody else, <laughs> but I want my children to be able to say that they were proud of me, that they learned how to have grit because I didn't give up, that they learned how to be compassionate and kind because they saw me live it out. You know, I want them to be able to feel comfortable showing their emotions and expressing themselves because they learned from me how to do it in a healthy way. You know, that's what matters to me. But the only way that I can have that legacy, the only way that my children will say that is if they see me live it. So I can't get on platforms like this and on other platforms, on a stage, or in my books, or in one-on-ones with people, and gloss over my life. If I need to be able to be real about my life, the rawness, but also be able to show that there's another side, you know, that if you push, push in and you go deep into the dirt of your life, that and you ask um, for God or whoever your higher power is to meet you in that dirt, that they are able to turn it and twist it and manifest it into soil some for us a, a space for growth and, and flourishing, right? And so that's what I have to bring to the table. So my children, they hear about my therapy sessions or that I'm going to therapy. And they, they've heard bits and pieces at their age level about my life story. And, and they see the way that I live. 
And I think that helps them to understand that it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to remain in that space and live your life off of that in that space. You're coaching people now. You said you gave them sort of a sheet that they're supposed to fill out. How does the coaching process work? Is there sort of a a challenge in a set of days or how do you sort of run the coaching process? So I'm excited that I do coach, but I also have material in, in general. So I have a lot of study guides, just material that are resources that can help you live a better life in whatever area. So as an example, if you are a micromanager and you really need to get that control thing under control, you can go to my, my website and find a course that speaks about that and how to help mitigate that. If you have an issue with being assertive and you are timid like I was, then there are courses or, or a study guide on my website that can help you work through that. And so any of my study guides, they basically are broken down into questions. They just ask you questions and you get out of it what you put into it because if you lie, well, then you're just lying to yourself <laughs> if you answer the question and you lie. But, but, but basically it offers information, it offers insight, it offers exercises, the course that they offer exercises. But in the midst of that um, offering, it also requires you to answer some questions about yourself so that you can get to a deep rooted reason of why you are the way you are. And then hopefully be open to trying the exercises that are inside the course. And so in that, I take, I have about three courses that I can, I use. And so these courses are more lengthy where the course that you would just buy on my website are about, they take maybe a week, maybe two weeks, depending on how you want to break it down. It's, it's really an independent study. When I work with people, the it is set up to last two to three months. So it's pretty much a um, depending on how deep we go, it can go from two months to three months of me and this individual working together weekly. Once a week, we get together, and I will send them course material, and they read through the course material, and they get some insight on different topics like self victimization or like um, being real about um, facing, facing your fears, facing your fears and facing the truth. They, they get course material on your triggers, on what type, what are your triggers? What are things that set you off? And so those are just a couple of the topics. But either way, we work through this material and it's a nine course, typically nine courses within these course bundles that we work through together. And like I said, depending on the depth of where we're going, it can last anywhere from two months to three months. And so the the work that we do is very deep. It is very, it has intent to help you to find the empowerment to change the trajectory of your life, to make some decisions in your life that you know you need to make, but you may be afraid to, or you may not know how to. It helps to give you the empowerment um, to be able to walk through those different challenges that are in your life. And not all the time is it about somebody else. When I when I work with somebody, it really isn't about anybody else. We can talk about external issues, but ultimately it boils down to how that individual is going to handle it. And that is who I'm talking to, not about the other people that they may factor into the situation. Now, when you do all this, what are sort of the things that you've noticed a lot in your clients that is sort of the first thing that's improved? I would say self-awareness. 
self-awareness, even if it's just a little, it's self-awareness because I'm there to listen, right? So they are just telling me what they said on a question. If I say, um, you know, tell me about, tell me about who you learned friendship or, or who you learned friendship through and how do you view friendship? Okay. And they'll tell me whatever their answer is. And then I may ask them something else. If I hear something that they are repeating in the midst of those questions, I may ask them a deeper question. Why do you keep saying this? You know, someone may have an issue and they say, I'm not naming anybody, but <laughs> but I've had encounters where there was somebody who said that they felt um, that they needed to be guarded in friendship. And then they said something about a relationship and said they needed to be guarded. Well, clearly there's something there in regards to being guarded. So let's discuss that a little a little bit more. And so in that, it opens up the door for them to be aware of what they're saying, number one, how they feel, truly feel about relationships, no matter how they're saying, I want another, I want friendship, I want a mate. This is how they feel. They feel like they have to guard their heart. So what is that about? Let's talk about it. And so they're talking, I'm listening. And when somebody is doing a lot of talking and somebody is truly intently listening and that that listener restates something that somebody said who was talking, it can bring about awareness. So from the door, I found in the first first class, first course, um, they walk away with, huh, I never thought about it like that. Huh, that's something to think about. And so when that happens, that means I'm doing my job. And also when um, something is said and I pull them on the carpet and say, you know, well, why did why this or why that? Or why did you do this? And and just really question their their motives. Um, that's my responsibility, too. And so if I don't do that, if I allow them to say whatever, and even if it's going against um, something that I would believe is uh, a positive character, if I don't speak on that, then I'm not helping them. So sometimes it is a true coaching moment of this isn't this isn't the best way to think about a situation. And and so it opens up um, for a lot of strong dialogue. But that's what is needed to happen sometimes um, in conversations. A lot of times we're not held accountable for what we do and what we say. And our friends who love us dearly say that's just how they are. What does that mean? That's just how they are. What that means is we've accepted how they operate, whether it's good or bad. We've accepted that they'll never change. And life is about evolving. Right. So I'm here to make sure that you evolve. And yet, okay, so we talked a lot about the first book and the second book. So what are the key focuses in each of the books? Well, actually, I have one book, <laughs> but I'm actually, I, I actually am writing, uh, I'm about to, I'm actually about to um, um, put out a new book. I hadn't really put it out there, but it's it's close. Um, and so my first book, is, it is called The Prescription is in the Dirt. and the takeaway that I really hope that people get um, from the book is pretty much three things. And one is we spoke about it earlier, is that everybody needs a safe place to fall. If I hadn't have had the support system that I had, that I had cultivated over the years, if I hadn't have had it, I don't think I would be here talking to you today. You know, I probably would have listened to my emotions and have ended my life and my children would not have a mother right now. So I'm so grateful for the people that I had in my life. 
everybody, nobody is meant to do life alone. Everybody needs a safe place to fall, meaning a safe place where they can share absolutely everything that's on their mind, whether it's good, bad, ugly, indifferent, dark, scary. They can share it and know that the person that they're talking to has their best interest at heart. And they're not going to write them off as being loony, but they're going to listen to their heart and pray with them and 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 um, and for them and help them to get the help that they need. And if that is therapy, they'll help guide them to that place. And so that's number one. Number two, understanding that you have to be ready to face the hard truths about your life. In my book, the different situations that I go through, whether it's in a marriage, as a sibling, as a friend, as a mother, all these different situations that I find myself in where I'm just like, I don't know what's going on in my life. I had to get to a place where I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, girlfriend, you got to fix some stuff because nobody's going to change it for you. You have to change it for yourself. And so I had to face the hard truths about my life. And that's what another thing that I hope that people get out of the book. And a, a, a third thing that I would hope people would get is that a part your healing journey uh, is look, being able to see other people's perspective. It doesn't mean that what they did was right by no means, but being able to see as many aspects of the situation as you can can bring some insight that you didn't think about. A lot of times we're just focused on our own pain. Like we were hurt. And so we're just focused on our hurt. And we don't sometimes take into account, but if this wouldn't have happened, this wouldn't have happened, right? Now, that doesn't mean that the situation is built that way. But the point I'm trying to make is that when we open up our hearts to seeing other perspectives, it also helps us to open up our heart to forgiveness. And ultimately, in order for us to be free from some deep situations, we got to get to a place where we forgive. We have to release the situation. We have to release it. We have to release the situation. We have to release the pain. Because if we don't, it's just taking us down with us. It's like trying to save somebody and you got to try to save them and they wind up trying to, you wind up drowning with them. <laughs> so you have to release the pain and have to be willing to release the hurt and the anger and the bitterness or the jealousy or the envy and say, you know what, I'm just choosing to not carry this with me anymore. And in that is a space for forgiveness. Those three things are the main elements that I would hope that anyone who read my book, The Prescription is in the Dirt, would walk away with because they were critical for me in saving my life. And I know I'm not the only one who has dealt with um, the type of pain that I've dealt with. And so I'm confident in believing that those elements would help to save some other people's lives. And um, yeah, and to me, that's a form of paying it forward. And my my new book that is will be coming out, I would say maybe in the next month or two, is really based around family and around my my children and being a mom and my road to getting to that place and and just driving home the fact that there are no perfect parents, there are no perfect children, and and that either way it's a blessing. And to be able to really lock arms in that blessing, um, to understand that, you know, um, you could have different faith and that if God gave you the kids, he thought that you could handle them and just really, really take ownership of that responsibility and do the best that you can in raising them to be great citizens and just lovers of, of God. We're talking about raising children and other things like this. Do you think 
We've helped other clients as well deal with their families. Do you think family plays a huge role in fixing this trauma, but it may also be a part of it in causing this trauma as well? And do you think that all kind of has an impact with COVID as well? Huh. Absolutely. Because the problems don't go away, right? And now you're in close quarters. <laughs> it's like, seriously, um, for some people, it can mean the difference between life and death. And for other people, it can really highlight things that they have swept under the carpet. And so the fear of confrontation, the fear of talking about a, a, a topic because it makes all hell break loose in the house. And you've come up with this coping mechanism and this strategy to get out of having the conversation. They go to work at night. You go to work in the daytime. You miss each other most of the time. When you're together, the kids are here and they have soccer. So you got to go out. And so you don't really have the time to have those deep conversations, or at least you tell yourself that. And now you're stuck in the house. I mean, I yeah, it, you know, it really makes everybody, I would think, have to make just kind of check and say, I want to be in this, right? Yeah, yeah, I want to be in this. I want to be in this relationship. Okay. But absolutely. And so when you're talking about trauma and tragedies and just hangups, it doesn't have to be anything huge. It could just be a, a hangup. Like, I can't stand the way you chew. I mean, it could be anything. But but really, anything that makes you or makes your makes you boil over, that's a hangup. And in close quarters for a long period of time, eventually it's going to boil over. And so in dealing with any type um, of trauma or hang up or tragedy, I would definitely say that first and foremost, it's about you, the individual. Like it was about me. It wasn't necessarily about the things that I went through, although it started that way. It started being about those things. But eventually, the more that I went in through my um, through my soul healing journey, it, my finger of pointing had to start turning towards myself. And so I was starting to work through my own junk on how I process, on how I hold on to grudges and how I can't release and let things go. That was about me. There's always going to be external stuff. I had to work on me. And so even when I'm coaching somebody, that is why it's critical for me to focus on them and not their external things. I may give some like feedback about their external things, but at the end of the day, it is about them and their behavior and their their ability to process, right? And their ability to forgive. But in that, in them being able to get stronger in that space, when they go back to these other environments, they're able to better communicate and better handle those external situations. So it always starts at the root, which is that individual, but it will impact um, everybody else that's around them, from their distant family to their close family. Now, let's kind of get more into spirituality a bit more. How did God sort of have an impact in your life? Because I think everyone has their different views and faith. I definitely have a spiritual view. What is your outlook on it? Yeah. Well, interestingly, I grew up a Buddhist. I was a Buddhist until I was 19 years old. And there's a part of me that is proud of that because I believe that it helped me to um, be inclusive before I even knew what that was. You know, um, when I went to go pray, it wasn't just people that looked like me. It was like a United Nations when I went to go pray. So I grew up in a very um, segregated neighborhood, you know, mainly um, people that looked like me in rougher parts of town. Um, but when I went to pray in my most intimate space, it was around all different 
skin colors and faces and all of that. And so that helped me, I believe, in my life to where um, I just saw people through a different lens and situations through a different lens. You know, at the same time, I am raising four black boys, so I understand that part of it. But I'm just grateful for being able to grow up in the way that I grew up. It was um, when I turned 19 that I decided that I wanted to know about who this Jesus Christ person was, what Christianity was about. And so, but through all my life, I've had the foundation of spirituality, of prayer and meditation and centering myself and centering my spirit and my soul. That has been with me through every single situation I've been through in my life. And so even when I was going through horrible tragedies, like when I lost my daughter, horribleness, of how do you even get up and go through life the next day? How do you, I mean, how? I didn't even know how, but it was that centering of my spirituality that helped me to get up off the ground and to clean my face and to walk, you know, and to put on clothes and to learn to socialize again. It was because of my faith. And it was because of my faith that helped me to be able to finally get to a place where I could say, this man means me no good. And if I stay here, he might kill me because he means me no good. And it's an abusive situation and I need to get out of it. It was my faith that gave me the courage and the strength to say, Fatima, you can do this. So my 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 faith walk, my spirituality is the cornerstone for me. It is the at the center of my life. I live and breathe. Um, and I pray that when people interact with me, that that's what they experience, that they get both the tangible Fatima, but they also get to experience God working through me to help them in whatever situation um, they're going through. And how did you, now, I don't want to hit on this if it's not easy for you, but how did you sort of deal with being in that abusive relationship? Well, I stayed for a very long time and I believe it had a great amount to do with my self-worth. I didn't have any and I didn't I never learned to have self-worth. And that means that kids uh, repeat what they see, not necessarily what you tell them. And so what I saw acted out in my childhood said that I didn't have self-worth. And then I thought that I was running to a savior, uh, a knight in shining armor, but I was just running into more pain. And so I stayed for nine years of my life with a man that manipulated me, um, that mentally captured me and held me captive mentally, um, never told me not to leave. I chose to not leave. And so for nine years, I wrestled. I, I don't. Um, I think the last three years, I wrestled with the fact that the relationship wasn't going to change. And um, But I don't have anything to leave. Like I have nothing. And so, um, meaning I didn't have a job, um, anything th that was in my home that I had that was mine had been broken in a fight. So I had no identity. My identity was him. My identity was attached to him. And so Fatima, the individual, was no more. And it, um, I really didn't start to rediscover myself in that space until about year six when I started. Oh, yeah, yeah, about year six when I started to work um, independent from him when I got an opportunity to sing and tour with a group. And I began to get tapped back into who Fatima was, what Fatima liked to do. And it was in those moments that I realized that 
my life could be different, that my life could have happiness. My life could have joy. I could have some peace, but I had to make some tough decisions. And it was getting the courage to make the tough decisions. Um, that was the hardest part. But really, it was the fact that I had no, I felt no self-worth. Even though God said that I was beautiful and that I was loved and that I was capable and that I was powerful and I was strong, I didn't believe any of that about myself. And so it was through my relationship growing in God and, and buying into it, starting to believe it, and then wanting to live it is when the transition came for me to say, this space, this this dynamic, this atmosphere is, is the opposite of what God is telling me to live out. And I have to make a tough decision. And it was a brutally, brutally tough decision because I had never been with anybody else but him. But but again, it was it was because my belief in God, knowing that there had to be something better. I don't know what, but there had to be something better out there. And by faith, I was going to go and try to figure it out. And it was getting to that moment mentally <laughs> that um, I was able to, to change my life. And what do you know to be true specifically? <sighs> what I know to be true is that. God is above all gods and that he is my savior and that I am capable that Fatima C. Oliver is capable of absolutely anything she puts her heart and her mind to. And, um, and for me, I think that's enough. You know, I think those two together, I'll be just fine. And those people that put their life in my hands and trust me with their life, I think they'll be just fine too. When we talk about trusting in people and all of this, I noticed you were kind of doing a lot of self-love there. Do you think that's very important as well? Absolutely. If we don't have self-love, we'll find ourselves in situations like I did. I think nowadays it's being caught more, but I just think the generation that I come from and the the kind of the lifestyle that I have, we were in survival mode. My mom was in survival mode. A lot of other parents in my neighborhood were in survival mode. That wasn't necessarily a priority to teach their children about self-worth. And that was a mistake, but I understand why the mistake was made. But self-worth is critical. Not just saying that you have it, but truly walking in that self-worth, making tough decisions when you know that Whatever is happening is not matching up to your self-worth. Being able to walk away from opportunities because it's not matching up to your self-worth. I think that's when you start to really have self-worth, is when you're willing to make those type of decisions. And it's critical. We, I mean, really, I, I, I really kind of think that's a no-brainer in regards to that, because without it, where would we be? Just think about it. There are so many people who are crazy narcissists and just absolutely cruel and just the devil incarnate sometimes it seems because of what happened in, in a space of their self-worth. Some other elements too, but self-worth plays a part in that. What you believe to be true about yourself matters so much more than what other people think of you. And being able to understand that more, I think would make a huge difference in society. My good. Good way to end this off too. Are there any final words? You'd like to tell the audience? Well, I'll just say that you can definitely find me on social media 
And uh, my website again is FatimaC.com. My book is The Prescription is in the Dirt. And I, you know, I, I really hope that those who pick it up are inspired to um, to do more and to to be more for themselves, not for anybody else. And yeah, I'm on social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and Twitter, and all the other stuff, Clubhouse. Um, and just know that there is greatness in all of us. There is meaning in all of us. We are all meant for this moment. If it wasn't true, we would not be here. And so the catch is tapping into that greatness and then doing something with it. We all are capable, but it takes courage and it takes grit and it takes determination. And so I pray that for those who are listening and who are tuning in to um, harness that strength and that determination and that grit and make the best out of your life because, you know, that's the purpose. You don't, nobody wants to be on earth sad. So change it. All right. I'm Jimbo. Thanks again, Fatima. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Jimbo Parish Show. 